Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Christy, you're in the closet again. I'm in the closet. It's it's my it's not a closet. It's a recording studio you're, with shoes behind you. Yeah, I mean, there I've seen people in recording studios with shoes behind them. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I've, I've seen them in quote unquote recording studios. <laughs> <laughs> How was your first week of the new year? Um, really good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not holding anything onto that because, you know, I thought, well, no, I didn't think 2021 started off well. And I know 2020 didn't start off well. So, um, but I'm just going to roll with it. Yeah. I'm just going to keep stacking good weeks on top of good weeks. You did know? you, did you do anything fun that made it good or was it? No, just- I just, I had, I got, I was really productive and, you know, people were kind of back at work. So when you would work on something it went somewhere, you know, there was kind of, you know, how that is like that, that yeah. whole, even between Thanksgiving and new year's, it's just all kind of hit or miss you from them. Maybe you won't. Yeah. And that's totally okay. I am a complete proponent of people having time off and doing recovery, um, mentally, physically, all of those things, but, and, and including me, but it's, you know, kind of coming out of that to have everybody kind of on that, uh, a bit of a recovered vibe and, you know, ready to kind of get after it. Um, felt like this first week's been good. So, like I said, I'm just going to, I'm stacking good day on top of good day. Right. That's now. fun. Yeah. How That's about fun. you? Um, my first week was a little crazy because our, I actually uh, know that. So like, <laughs> Cause I was like, I forgot to record the intro this week's yeah. been crazy. Um, because our, our CEO of IC came down with COVID, which <laughs> I feel like I, half of my network has COVID. And, and we, can we just talk about that for one second? Like neither Tim nor I have had it, but you know, what? that I know of true, but I also don't. I mean, yes, you're right. We could have been completely asymptomatic, but based on how we responded to the vaccines, I highly doubt that. Yeah. Nonetheless, I feel, I have said this to a couple of people, I feel like a walking time bomb. I'm like, <laughs> when is it coming for me? Yeah. Like, let's just do, like, can I, 
can I just get this over yeah. with? But um, it's funny because yeah. last night, one of my friends, my friend that actually went on her birthday trip to New Mexico and she has, the whole time has been like, I have golden immunity. Like I have not because her yeah. husband had it and she's like, we slept in the same bed. I didn't get it. Blah, blah, blah. Like my, you know, like she taught exercise classes in Georgia, which was so open <laughs> last night. She was like, well, I'm down with the void <laughs> with the vid, the vid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the void with the vid. I'm in the void with the vid. <laughs> um, so anyway, and she she's the same as our CEO, Sarah. Sarah's, she's fine. I think she's vaccinated, um, but she just had a lot of fatigue and, and which was what yeah. a lot of what I had when I had COVID was, so I was like, I totally understand this. Like, just, you feel like I should be able to do something because I'm just laying around, but you're exhausted. So Anyhow, um, so it's, it, it made it, I like thinking about strategy and where the whole company is going. And, you know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of brands under us. We have triathlon, we have, um, menopause. We have, obviously we work with the gravel that is this podcast. So it's been fun, but, um, I did just get off the phone with Amy Ross working mm-hmm. on gravel festival. So Yay. I'm more excited about it. Cause there's some really fun stuff. I'm, I'm hundred percent sure that there's some really fun stuff happening. Yeah. And, and registration is still open. So people yes, get signed up. Um, click by folks click by. Yeah. You're going to be there. I'll be there. Yeah. Lean's going to be there. It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's We're just all- going to be a great time to see people and hang out. So yeah. In a beautiful place. We're all kind of staying in the same house, except for you might be in the driveway. Yeah. I might be in the driveway, not <laughs> in my closet, not in my recording studio though. Who knows? The van may end up being a recording studio for the weekend. It's been a recording studio before. Let's be it honest. It has been a recording studio before. So, um, okay. Well, you, we have a podcast interview that I also did before Christmas. And speaking of being in the closet, you ended up moving that day. Yes. Move into this place in Kansas City, which Christy yeah. does not live in Kansas City. Don't I don't live in Kansas City. Kansas. I live in Emporia. Uh, yeah. They're flipping a loft in Kansas City while Tim's doing some work there. Um. Okay. But, uh, so Christy, uh, was not available and I already had this interview scheduled. And so you're going to be so sad you missed it, Christy, because guess what we talk about? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably in the first 10 minutes of the conversation, we have a whole conversation about lube and not chain lube. Oh, nice. <laughs> lube, lube. Lube Lube. So this, this woman, her name's uh, Jen Gorecki, which I probably said wrong, but I say correct on the podcast recording. And I met her, she, um, she got connected with us through a bunch of different things. And she tried to reach out for a menopause to sponsor our menopause podcast with her, with her lube company, <laughs> which my dream since we started the menopause podcast is to have a lube sponsor. Um, and so anyway, as we we got to know each other. I found out that she, um, had cycled from Kenya to South Africa. And that was her first like time that she'd ever ridden a bike more than I think 30 miles was when she embarked on this trip. That's getting in shape on the road there. (laughs) So she, so we talk a lot about like, she's such an entrepreneur. You would have loved her. Like she started a bunch of businesses, but she lived in Kenya and started this, um, basically micro lending, uh, company for women there. And, um, and yeah, she just talks a lot about like 
really experiencing the culture, like um, what it was like to do that trip. And she's got a trip coming up this summer with Myrna. Oh, cool. Um, they're going to well, cycle. This will be again. fun because I can listen to this one. So yeah, like, you can, in, in a different capacity. So not, like not excited that I missed it, but excited. I get to listen to it from a different perspective. So. Yeah. So, so I think everybody's really going to enjoy this conversation with Jen. I won't say her last name because I'll mess it up. <laughs> one day, one day I'm going to learn to pronounce last names. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Christy, have you ever been out riding and stopped at a sketchy gas station and been like, eh, I want to go in, but I don't know what to do with my really expensive, nice bike. Uh, yes, that always stinks. Those situations are never fun. I know. And especially if you're by yourself and there's nobody to stay outside and watch the bike for you. Yeah, exactly. You, like have to drive right by that nice cold Coca-Cola <laughs> or bag of potato chips. <laughs> well, I have a feeling we have a way to fix that. We do. We have a brand new podcast sponsor. Auto-lock. <laughs> Auto-lock. So Auto-lock is a company that creates these great locks. They're cinch locks. So they're small, lightweight, and easy to carry. And they all have combination lock codes. So you can put it in your bike bag. You could even just leave it strapped around your seat post. And Perfect. it just makes it easy to lock your bike to anything or even somebody else's bike. It's ideal for theft deterrent. Um, all the locks have Kevlar in them. So they're really hard to cut. And I think it's just great to have an option wherever you are to always have a lock with you. Yep. And the cool thing is, is they're giving all of our listen listeners a chance at 25% off if you want to buy a cinch lock. Well, I think it's any of their locks on their website. Oh, that's awesome. So, even better. I know. Cause they also have that, um, you lock on there as nice. well. So if you need something more heavy duty, if you're riding around in a city, so you just go over to autodesignworks.com and you're going to get 25% off at checkout and free shipping for us customers only. If you use the code girls con gravel at checkout, again, it's autodesignworks.com and 25% off with girls con gravel at checkout. Auto lock, hide it in your sock, take it around the block. I am super excited to be flying solo today and joined by Jen Gorecki. Hi, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. And, uh, we were just looking before you came or before we started recording, you've got snow out your window, which I'm really jealous of. Yes. I it's all I have to say about that is it's about time. That's what I have to say about <laughs> snow outside my window, but it is, it is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. You're in the Reno, Nevada area. So you're, you've got lots of good skiing close to you, right? We do. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lake Tahoe is just up and over the hill and world-class resorts there. And, one of the nice things about living in Reno is that we're just, we're so close to the east side of the Sierra and Mammoth Mountain is one of my favorite places to be. So I will be heading there, I think next week for a couple of days. Nice. That, that does not sound like it sucks. You know, there's a big gravel race in Mammoth um, that is didn't there? get to happen this year because of the fires. Oh. Uh, but Amanda Nauman and her crew, uh, she's a professional gravel cyclist and they're putting it on next year, Mammoth Tough. And I will have to look into that. I, I tend to not really follow races because I mean, who wants to come in last every time, you know, that's, <laughs> I just, that's kind of how I feel about me and my participation in any race is that certainly it wouldn't go well for me. So I just tend to do my own thing, but that sounds very interesting. And I'll have to look into it. Yeah. That. Well, the, 
the reason I said is the pictures are always incredible that she sends. Plus Mm -hmm. I feel like gravel races are a misnomer. Like there's a small percentage of the field that's racing, but then most people are like there for the party. (laughs) I mean, that's why I show up at most things or the party. (laughs) That's yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, usually we talk about, uh, talk to the guest about how you got into cycling because cycling is most people's lives that are guests on this podcast but you are quite the entrepreneur with your hand on so many different things so I would love for you just to give our audience a little background of of you and all the things that you do and then you've had some really big cycling adventures that I want to get into yeah geez where do I start I don't know I feel like uh yeah, I've been doing a lot of things for a long time. I, um, I'm currently the CEO of Coalition Snow, where women owned and operated ski and snowboard brand. We actually make skis and snowboards. Sometimes I say that and people still don't know what that means, but we make skis and snow. Actually, it's more <laughs> just often men who are like, you mean clothing? No, I mean skis and snowboards. We actually make equipment. So that is currently what is paying my rent. My philanthropy is with Zawadisha, which is that Zawadisha is a Swahili word. It means to give a gift. And that's a nonprofit that I started over a decade ago. Um, and we provide microloans to women and have an all local, all women team in Kenya who runs our operations. So I tend to do a lot of Zawadisha things in the evening and the weekends. Um, we launched a new brand just um, earlier this year called Opre Delight, which is elevates your intimacy. You can just Google it. Or we can, I don't know. It's a lube. It's a lube people. It's, I mean, it's, well, it's an oil, it's intimacy oil. It's intimacy, intimacy related. It just makes the O's better. And I don't, I mean, that's, that's the whole point of it. Yeah. I actually feel like it could be quite valuable to this gravel audience, especially people that ride long distances and have, someone at home that wants to also enjoy time with them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, whether you're using it with yourself or with a partner, I mean, it makes, I mean, sex is better, but also after a long day in the saddle, a hundred percent, it would feel good to rub it all up. Like it really would. It, it really would. So yeah. So I, I talk about sex a lot publicly, which is another thing that makes my parents super proud of me. Um, so I do that with um, Operate Light, And then I have my own podcast called Juicy Bits, um, where Jillian and I just talk about things that we think women talk about on chairlifts, but don't ever talk about it in public. So again, making my parents proud with that content. And um, yeah, when I'm not doing all of those things, I'm either cooking dinner. I love to cook from scratch or I'm riding my bike or I'm snowboarding or doing yoga. And that's pretty much, that's all I do. That's it. I love it. I feel like your podcast probably could translate into things people talk about on bikes Yeah, as well. I was out riding several years 100%. ago with my friend, Lauren, she was pregnant. And she, there was some guy that was riding real slow in front of us, which was really, it was kind of awkward. Cause we were talking about pregnancy and pregnancy issues and just all the things that you know, you talk about with your girlfriend, but I'm like, why is this guy riding so slowly like in front of us to listen in on this, you know, all about, yeah, he was, he wanted to listen. (laughs) It was very awkward. He was curious. He's like, oh my God, women in the wild talking (laughs) about 
their vaginas. I've never heard such a thing. I must slow down. Yeah. I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah. Well, you also have, so skiing is your passion Mm. as we've learned, um, which is also a great cross activity in the winter for anybody that's around snow for their cycling. But you also have done some really big cycling adventures. Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm sort of an accidental cyclist. Like I, I started mountain biking, um, back in, when did I get my first mountain bike? Probably like 1996. I got my first mountain bike. I'm dating myself for sure. And, um, you know, hardtail front, like, you know, just think to what bikes were like back then. So I just, I mountain biked a lot and then kind of got out of it. And I was doing a lot more, you know, skiing and snowboarding and whitewater rafting. And then, um, got a new bike full suspension. That was rad. Started doing a lot more mountain biking in, in Tahoe and in Colorado. And then one day when I was in Kenya in Nairobi at my friend's house, James, uh, James's family is the first, um, first people to do commercial whitewater rafting in all of East Africa. So big adventure family, they have an adventure travel company. And he said to me, um, this is actually just after he had been just gotten married. Um, he said, I want to cycle across Africa from Nairobi to Cape town. And I want you to come along and document our entire experience. I of course said yes, because what else would you say to someone who asks you? Uh, but it's important to note that I had never ridden more than like 20 miles at a time. I'd never been on a road bike, never been on a gravel bike. Um, and I just immediately said yes. And then, you know, thought about, well, holy shit, what did I just get myself into? I better figure out what I need to do. Cause that's going to be a long 73 days. And that's how many days it, it took us um, to do that. So that was, and I would say since then, um, I'm absolutely madly in love with cycling. I'm on my bike so much. Um, and I've been able to cycle through Nepal with my friend Roz, um, and then we're leading, I'm leading a cycling trip, um, across Kenya from Nairobi down to the coast, actually in July of 2022 as a fundraiser for Zawadisha. So yeah, I love riding bikes and I'm average at it, but I've learned that I can tolerate, I can endure a lot of pain. Probably <laughs> because you've got that apparatus. Well, now I do now I, I didn't have it on this, but I did, I was, you know, good chamois, clean chamois, uh, lube, like you need, you know, sh- sh- chamois, the, the cream. Chamois I, yeah. the chamois. Chamois, like every day I was so serious, um, about making sure I had clean, good chamois on and I would lube up. And then about four hours later, I would put my hand down my pants and make it happen again. And I made it the whole trip across Africa without a single blister. That's amazing. Especially being a new cyclist. Because usually people don't have something right. And that's what causes things to, to, to not work so well to go either either the wrong saddle or the, the clothes are to the wrong size or something like that. Yeah. I mean, saddle plays a big part of it. I think also like like, I feel like sometimes people recycle their chamois. They don't wash them with soap and water. And that, that really makes a big difference. I mean, also let's be honest. It was my super intense training where I would ride like 30 minutes a day and think that that was actually enough. I mean, that's really, that's really what, 
<laughs> when I first started, I will never forget when I first started training for this ride, I would legit ride like five or six K and be like, Oh shit. I was, a, I was a lot. I just rode like, I just rode through the neighborhood, like up that hill. I've been gone for 30 minutes and I, it like actually took me, I think the longest, the longest I had ridden um, in preparation and in training, I did a, a road ride with my brother and it was 50 miles. And that was the longest I'd ever ridden before I got on a bike across Africa. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's back up for just a second and tell us how you got involved in Africa in the first place. Like you didn't just show up oh. with a friend and be like, I'm going to ride my bike from Nairobi no. to Cape town. Like, how did you start doing how did I get in Africa? That? And did you have your nonprofit at this point when you did the ride? Yeah. So the ride was back in 2019 and I first oh, went so to just Kenya. two years ago, three, three years ago, it's almost three years ago. It's almost 2022. It'll be 22. Or maybe it was 2018. I don't know what day it is anymore. And like it yesterday was yeah, like since... 10 years ago, it no. was pre COVID. It was two years before COVID whenever that was, is when I wrote across it. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Okay. Thank you. So I, um, I first went to Kenya in 2004 to do research for my master's degree and was there there for a bit and going back and forth um, doing re- research. I was studying bottom-up approaches to sh- social change. And through my, through my research, I'd actually given women cameras, asked them to take photos of their lives and, and, and write about it. And so what I learned from this research was that, um, you know, these women didn't have access to capital and that's what they needed to be able to kind of, you know, push things along further for them. Like we, we don't think about all the things that we have in the United States because we have access to like a credit card or a car loan or hope, like how much that um, defines our quality of, of, of life. And, you know, back, back in, you know, early 2000, microcredit was just getting started. It wasn't even really like a big thing like it is now. And so um, I decided to work with these women who were my co-researchers and together we co-created a micro lending program uh, that, you know, they sort of defined the terms and what it would look like. And I cashed in all the savings bonds that my grandparents had given me. Savings bonds are pieces of paper that the government backs that kind of work. Like, I know there's people who are like, I don't even know what you talk like. And crypto like I feel back. like everybody's grandma and grandpa left them like a savings bond and everybody's like what do I do with those <laughs> yeah well I cashed all my I cashed mine in and started Z- Zawadisha that's what I did and um it was super informal at first and this would have been like 2010 or so like really informal just working with about 15 or so women and then uh, every time that I would come back to the States, everyone was, was like, what were you doing there? What are you doing? And I would tell them. And then people said, oh, I would like to write you a check for that. And so then I had to become a nonprofit <laughs> because people uh. wanted to write me checks. So Zawadisha has been around. I started Zawadisha long before I started Coalition Snow. Uh, but the goal was to always have Zawadisha run by Kenyan women. So I worked really hard to put myself out of a job. Uh, which is why then I, you know, was like, oh, I should start something new so I can pay my rent because Lord knows I cannot work for anyone. Everyone who knows me knows this. So, um, so I had, you know, I had, I've been, you know, 
having this sort of second life in Kenya now for almost 20 years. And because I've always had this great love of the outdoors, that's how I met my friend James, because his family owns this adventure travel company. They do, you know, trekking up Mount Kenya, whitewater rafting, mountain biking, climbing. And because Kenya is a small enough country, it, I found him through the outdoors and we started to hang out just around whitewater rafting. Um, and so then it was, you know, then it fast forward, maybe seven years after he and I became friends and, you know, he had just married Floey, um, in South Africa and they were expecting their first. And so I think he was running away from his, uh, real life and came up with that. Yeah. He's like, let's ride bikes across Africa and and make it a trip. You know, it was was a a trip that hit, that he was, he was going to run. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's let's do it. And so that's, um, that's how I got, that's how I met him. That's how I got involved in this trip. Um, and that, you know, I'm, I'm working with him again on this, on this cycling trip that we're going to do, uh, in July. That's amazing. Okay. I did want you to, I think a lot of people know what microloans are, but just to explain what that is and why it's so important, especially in developing countries, um, for people that maybe I know they've been talked about a lot and, recent years, but maybe some people aren't as familiar with what that means or, or why it's so important, like in a country like Kenya. Yeah, certainly. Well, there's just um, not a lot of access to banking or financial services, particularly among rural communities. And, and certainly that, I mean, it's radically different now than it was when I started Zawadisha, but, you know, when, when I started the organization, you would have a bank and all that you could really do at the bank was deposit money and take money out. And they would, and there was, there's, there weren't really things as credit cards and loans, and you might be able to get a loan, but you had to have a title deed to property. And so it was just really difficult to access credit. And we all know how important credit is um, to our personal and professional lives. And at the time, um, Hamid Yunus uh, was really sort of um, the first person who, um, who really was bringing to light the potential of microloans and the work that he was doing um, in India. And it just started to become clear that particularly among um, women who tend to uh, be quite good with their money in the sense that they don't spend it on booze and hookers, um, not actually nothing against hookers either, like no problem, just saying statement of fact. Um, yeah. They, uh, they, could do a lot with a loan of $25 or $50 or a hundred. And, and so micro lending started off as this way to help women in particular start businesses. And there's all different ways that you could, that you could, um, you know, run, run that from providing individual loans or group loans. Well, for me, what I had noticed was that thinking that just anyone could start a business and being successful, like that was a narrative. That was a narrative that the Western world created because they wanted to be able to pat themselves on the back and talk about how great capitalism is and spread that. But really, like, as we all know, businesses fail and it takes a lot to have a successful business. And a lot of women and and men were going in in debt and it was sort of um, wreaking havoc on their lives. And I was really looking at like, well, what are the underlying reasons why somebody would maybe not be able to be successful with a business? And with women in particular, uh, they don't necessarily have the skill set and they don't have the time. They don't have the time to run the business. So with Zawadisha, we do micro lending really differently. Um, We provide loans for products. 
things like solar lamps and clean cook stoves and water tanks and gutters. Because if a, if a family has a water source at their home, that means that a woman and her young girls, and it would be girls who would do this, don't have to walk six hours to the well. If they have a solar lamp, then they're not burning kerosene and they have more light, which actually increases their productivity from young children studying to just other things that you can do around, around the house. So I was really looking at like, well, what are the interventions that would sort of free up women's time, free up their capacity and allow them to pursue other things in their life if they wanted to? Um, while also providing training on financial literacy, micro enterprises, alternative agriculture. So Zawadish is a like little bit of, it's a little bit different from other micro loans in the sense that we don't provide cash for businesses. We provide products that immediately and radically improve the lives of women and their families. I love that, that you're looking at like, what's the problem behind the problem yeah, and helping solve that problem. Cause lots of people, it seems like are doing the microloan piece where you, it's for, to start a business, but then, like you said, mm-hmm. they're not solving the other, other problems. Yeah. So, um, yeah. all right, well, I want to get more scoop on this cycling trip. So it was 73 days and how, what's the distance, you know, what the distance is between Nairobi and how many countries did you cross? Oh my gosh. So. We basically, I think it was something like over 4,000 kilometers. Um, dang it. I should have had this on. I'm going to okay. look. It's, um, it's basically 4,000. It's a long way. <laughs> it's the length of the United States three times. That's Wait. what it, what is that? Whatever that is. I don't know what that is, but that's a long way. Okay. So I know I when think- I drove from Georgia to Washington, it was 2,000 miles. Yeah, I'm going to say that um, I'm going to say that probably my 4,000 that's is probably more like 4,000 miles. Um, But anyways, yeah, because Nairobi to Cape Town is this is what the Google is for. Okay, yeah, 5,221 kilometers if you take sort of the fastest route. But so maybe maybe it was about that. But yeah, it's it's the length of um, basically. It's kind of like three United States. Um, we went from Kenya to Tanzania, Malawi, um, Zambia, Botswana, Namibia, and then down to South Africa. And that was the trip. And it was pretty awesome and also very difficult. Do you know what the, like how, what the elevation was like? We're really into elevation no, will- and cycling. Well, I will tell you that um, the most significant elevation that we gained would have been in Tanzania. We had some really, really big hills to climb. Um, the least amount of elevation would have been in Botswana, flat as a pancake. That is the most painful riding when you don't get to shift your body and you're just riding flat. So Botswana was the flattest. Tanzania was definitely the most elevation gain because we were we were getting high up into some mountains. Yeah. And and. What about, I mean, everybody, when you think of Africa, you, there's like a fear for safety. Like, how did you feel doing this? You were obviously with a group, like. Well, I mean, I went to Kenya when I was 24 years, 26 years old back in 2004, when there was not even like 
readily available internet or mobile net network. So my, um, the way that I manage fear, particularly around being in Africa is probably quite different than most people. Uh, I know that I think certainly being a woman, we all know that there's rules that we all have to sort of play by everywhere. And I think that the Western world has constructed a narrative, particularly around Africa and particularly around black African men that we should be afraid of them when actually I think there's just as many reasons to be afraid walking out of your door in the United States. So I try to take all of it with a grain of salt and know that um, bad things can happen in all places. And some of the most important things that you can do is be aware of your surroundings, understand um, the cultures that you are um, that you are existing with within and really just think about what are the things that you might need to do or not do to, you know, just keep yourself safe, which I think that's daily life of being yeah. a woman. Um, I think there, there's obviously certain things when traveling in Africa, like, you know, that you probably wouldn't have access to immediate um, life-saving health, healthcare, you know, so EMS is always a challenge. So that's one thing that you, that you think about. Um, there's certainly like, you know, thinking about clean water and, um, malaria. We talked a lot about staying away from dogs cause you didn't want to get rabies because that would be an immediate send home and some pretty excruciating tre treatment. If you were bitten by um, a dog in one of the villages and, so there's like things like that, that we certainly discussed. Um, but yeah, I don't think that, um, I think there's lots of scary things that happen all over the world. And I don't think they're isolated to the continent of Africa, which is interesting. We're having this conversation given the um, current travel bans to all Southern Africa, <laughs> because somehow, somehow that that's really going to be um, effective in, in protecting all of us. Well, there. It didn't but, work, yeah. right? Cause it now they're like, Oh, it's everywhere. Everywhere, um, and yet we still have travel bans. Uh, we still have trip because of how we perceive that part of the world. So yeah. Um, did you see like the game animals or any of those things? Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm also thinking, like, was that a fear? Like, if you saw a lion? <laughs> well, so we didn't really expect that we would see lions um, while riding, just because of the way that lions sort of exist um like they're not going to really be out on roads you know or like near you know so you, but um elephants yeah we definitely saw elephants and we had to be really careful around them um and there were times that we would stop and wait for them to pass or like we'd like kind of you know get behind a vehicle in case something would would happen um saw a lot of elephants you know it's just elephants giraffe um all of the antelope zebras those are those would be just sort of everyday normal animals that you would see in Africa um I'd say we saw the most elephants in Botswana which was really remarkable um but yeah I mean there animals that you would really want to be afraid of would be like buffalo hippos we didn't really see either. We weren't riding bikes like next to rivers. So we didn't have to worry about the hippos. Um, they're the most dangerous African animal actually. Um, but yeah, the animals are, that's, 
I mean, it's one of my favorite. This one thing that I love about being there is just um, the wildlife. It's absolutely yeah. stunning to see these, you know, especially like big, big game, right? Like to see elephants um, in real life and be so close to them is pretty, a pretty remarkable experience. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, what were like, what were some of the things you noticed that were different about the cultures of those countries that you went through? Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm so I'm so used to Kenya, right? Like I consider Kenya a second home and East Africa, you know, there's 54 countries in Africa. Every single one is different. Um, they have their own languages, their own customs, and there, there's certain things that sort of translate as you cross bo- uh, borders. But, um, you know, I, I think that I would say like where you see more difference would be, you know, between rural and urban areas. The differences there are, are like you see a lot of stark differences there. But like a rural community in Botswana isn't fundamentally different than a rural community in in Kenya, where you really start to see difference in culture is actually when you move north and you would actually get into like Middle Eastern, Northern Af- Africa um, is really different than sub- Sub-Sahara. Uh, but there's always differences in food, um, you know, drink, um, but there's always like some sort of staple that you're going to eat um, that was likely uh, brought over by the colonizer. And um, church, religion plays a really big part in people's lives. Um, family, like there's just, I would say there's like more things that are consistent, um, and really, uh, like heart, heart, heartwarming than, than anything else. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned food, like what were, what were some of the things that you ate along the way? So because this was a, because this was a, an organized trip, like we had, we had clients, we, um, we had people cooking for us because we would, oh, you know, roll nice. into camp. So it's a little bit different. Like when, when Roz and I cycled through Nepal, we were just stopping at places alongside the road and just eating, you know, whatever we could, whatever we could find. But with, but with this trip, because it was an organized trip and it was, you know, 70 plus days, um, we actually had a team who would cook for us and, uh, we ate, you know, pretty, pretty basic food. We occasionally would have sort of traditional Kenyan food, like chapati and, um, curries and, and skooma. Um, but we also just, you know, would eat spaghetti and, you know, like I, every morning ate four pieces of toast. One piece of toast would have a banana and peanut butter on it. And then I would have three other pieces of toast and two cups of coffee. And they knew to save me a hard boiled egg. Cause I wanted to eat that at the break with another piece of toast. <laughs> so that was like, lots of toast. You know, it sounds like <laughs> I mean, I'm a toast. We would make our toast over the open fire. So that's, nice. a, that's a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't say like, um, you know, most of my time that I've spent in Africa, I have been alone and I kind of roll around and do my own thing. And I've, I've everywhere that I've, that I've traveled, um, I've been able to partake in the local, um, cuisine, but this, this trip was just a little different in that, you know, sometimes we would roll into a place and we would be sleeping in the courtyard of a school. Like there was no place to go eat. Right. Um, and so we would, and, and there would be, um, sort of market shopping that would happen, but it'd be sort of basics, right? Like 
you can always get cabbage and potatoes and onions. And there's like some consistent things there. Um, and, and so it was, you know, um, definitely like enough food and, and felt good about it. But, but I wouldn't say that like food was the number one thing that we had on that trip. Yeah. Did you feel like there was something you came out of that trip that you learned about yourself or that you were like, I'm going to change this or anything in your life that was significant? Yeah, that's, that's okay it. There was well, it's interesting because I, I went, I went into the trip thinking that I would come out of it being a fundamentally different person because I, I had imagined that doing something like this, um, would be life-changing and I don't know, I don't know if that so much, ha- like I didn't have these big aha moments, but I, I think partly though, you know, I went into the trip being happy with who I was and what I was doing. Like this trip wasn't an escape for me. It wasn't a way for me to sort of reevaluate my, my life. And certainly, you know, people do that. And that's a, a, a very worthy and legitimate reason to, to go on a trip like this would be to reevaluate your life. But I um, feel really privileged that I've, I've lived a, a very different life, I think, than most people to the point where a 70 day trip cycling across Africa was a thing that I would do that wouldn't be, you know, it wasn't this life-changing trip. Um, certainly something it's funny, almost every time I sit down in yoga and I close my eyes, I see Namibia and I see South Africa and I don't know why that, that is, but it certainly has um, an impact on me. Um, I'd say what I learned from this trip is that I know I can ride a bike and I'm not really intimidated of riding bikes. And, you know, I'm intermediate, high intermediate technical wise. I'm never the fastest person. I'm not trying to be, but I can, I can be in the saddle for a really long time and push myself physically in ways that I didn't know that I could. And that, um, you know, that just kind of takes the edge off of any outdoor activity that comes my way. I'm like, well, if I cycled across Africa, I should be able to do this, I guess. (laughs) So that's been helpful, you know? Yeah. I, that is a confidence builder when you do something big like that, even if it's like, you didn't anything, nothing significant came out of it. Like you're, you're just like, well, I know I can, whatever I can. Belle's going to be my co-host on today's podcast since Christy couldn't make it. (laughs) She joins us often. People are used to her in the background. Um, Okay. Well, you, you somehow connected with um, Myrna Valerio, who we got to interview at SBT Gravel. And on the feisty side, we had her speak last year at an event. And Myrna's gotten as a huge advocate for the outdoors. She's gotten into cycling in the past year. And you're going to take her and another group of people cycling through Kenya this summer. So tell us about that trip. Yeah. Um, I was able to meet Myrna, um, you know, meet is the operative word, uh, in the height of COVID in 2020, we, we zoomed a bit (laughs) and, uh, I had invited her to ski on coalition snow skis, which she graciously accepted. And, um, we're able to work with Bolton Valley to get her, you know, season pass and instructor and get her on her skis. And so that's how I originally met Myrna was through skiing. Um, but then just from knowing her, I invited her to speak at a fundraiser that we were doing for Zawadisha and knowing that she's a cyclist, I asked her if she wanted to do this cycling trip with us in Kenya. And she said, yes. So Myrna will be joining us. It's an 11 day trip that starts in Nairobi. 
um, kind of follows along the western border of Kenya um, down to Zawadisha headquarters. So where we have our office and where we do all of our, our work, we'll end up spending two days there. And then we'll finish out the trip by cycling down to the coast. Along the way, we'll have some game drives. Um, it'll be pretty special, I think, just because we will legitimately be off the beaten path and be seeing a part of Kenya um, and seeing Kenya in a way that most people don't. Cycling is, is growing rapidly in Kenya. There's a gravel race there called the Great Mi Migration that will actually happen in, in June. There's some pretty spectacular professional cyclists coming out of Kenya and a lot of, um, a lot of momentum and a lot of dedication to try to help these cyclists compete at, um, at the global level. And if you think about it, you think about um, how Kenyans have been able to take the lead in running uh, because there's no reason to think that they also wouldn't be able to, for example, compete in the tour. Uh, but it's really comes down to, an, uh, to access. And so it's a, an exciting time to be a part of um, anything cycling that's happening in Kenya. And with this trip in particular, you know, knowing that we'll be going through, you know, the sort of middle to the southern part of the country on, you know, back back roads, these dirt roads, and um, really seeing the way that people in rural Kenya live, being able to connect with the women who receive loans from Z Zawadisha, and then, you know, being able to treat ourselves to going on some game drives and also just spending time on the coast, uh, which is something that I don't think most people think of Kenya as having a, you know, the, the coast being a destination, but those white sand beaches are something else. And it sure is going to feel good um, <laughs> after, after cycling. cycling. Yeah, exactly. But it's a, it's a trip that's open to um, all experience, all people of different experiences. Uh, I just have been talking to people about the most important things that, you know, you can be in the saddle for six hours. You don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to necessarily be incredibly te technical, but you just need to know that your body can handle riding at a moderate pace and sit in the saddle. Um, so we have just a few spots left and I'm really, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm hoping that this becomes an annual trip that we do um, and all the funds that we raise will go to support Zawadisha. So it's something that's going to be uh, very, very special to me. Yeah. That sounds amazing. There's a part of me that's like, can I make it to Kenya next summer? And then a part of me is like, we've got so much <laughs> going on. It still could happen. It still could happen. It's, 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 it's possible. I mean, I, I ran coalition snow from the road on that 73 day trip. Like I was just up every morning at four 30 or five, um, on my phone on Slack doing a hotspot to the computer. And like, it's, it's possible to, you know, or you could just say, I'm going to take 11 days off. Yeah, which, that's a little bit more of what I'm, <laughs> <laughs> what I would be interested in doing. Yeah. Um, and so it's 11 days about how many miles you said about six hours in the saddle, but like, what are you looking at mileage wise? It, it actually really varies like because, because of the terrain and then also where we're trying to get to, like some days might be only like 60k i think we have like one day that's closer to like 100k there's no centuries so um you know i would imagine that 
yeah. we would be, you know, starting our day at like six or six 30 and everybody should comfortably be in camp by mid afternoon, two or two 30. And then, you know, we crack a couple Tuskers and have a snack <laughs> and go to sleep uh, and do it all over again the next day. And this is, so you're, it's a, like what you did. So you'll have cooks that go with you and then you'll be moving people's gear. So people don't have to pack their gear all in their bike. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's a supported trip. Um, and what I like about supported trips is that it's a great way for people to get into touring. It's a lot when you think about having to get completely set up, you know, if you have to carry everything from, you know, um, your tent, your sleeping bag, your stove, your cooks, like all of that, that is pretty advanced. It's certainly fun, um, but it's not necessarily something that is what people will do to get into the sport. And I'm a big advocate for um, bringing in new people into sports and creating um, experiences that are really inclusive. And so to have that support vehicle just means more people could actually be a part of it. And that that's one of um my, my, my values for sure. I don't want to, I don't want to create something that's so out of reach to so many people. Yeah. No, that sounds like my ideal version of bike packing that somebody yeah. else pack, packs the gear. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nice. It, it really, it, it really is uh, nice. Cause you're just, you're just not dealing with so much on the bike and you can be a little bit freer when, when you ride. Um, and it just kind of takes, you know, takes the stress down a level for sure. Do you think you'll see lions on this one? Here's what I want to tell you. I only want to see a lion if I am in a vehicle. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to have two game drives. Um, and each one of those game drives will be in a vehicle. Do I think we'll see lions on the game drives? Yeah, I do actually, because the part of doing a game drive is that, you know, you're always with people, local people who know the area where and they're going to take you to where the lions are. If I'm just riding if I'm riding on a dirt road, do I want, no, I do not want to see a lion a hundred percent. No. Um, there's lots of other animals that I want to see that I would expect to see. Uh, but I do, I do think there's a high chance that we will see lions on one of our two game drives. Um, and I'm certainly confident that we'll see, um, elephant, giraffe, zebra, all the different types of antelope. Um, and that's remarkable as well. If you've to see a giraffe run in real life is super special. <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah. And it's actually pretty, um, it's a pretty, uh, like you said that it's the donations, the money you raise is going to go to, uh, support Zawadisha. Did I say that correctly? Um, but it's actually pretty affordable to, um, it's yeah. like, I think it was $2,500. Yeah. It's $2,500. If you commit to raising a minimum of 500 from Zawadisha, uh-huh. I'll have a whole fundraising platform set up for people. They'll have their own pages. Um, and actually through the cycling trip that I did across Africa, um, we raised, um, a little over $50,000 for three organizations, Zawadisha being one of them. So, um, yeah, 2,500, obviously people need to, um, be able to provide their own flights and their own equipment. Um, but it's a pretty affordable cycling trip, particularly when you look at what else is out there and how a trip like that could easily go for like seven K. But, um, once again, accessibility. Um, and I really believe that if, if people come and get to have this experience and get to learn about Zawadisha, that I do think that the donations and the, the fundraising will be able to, um, 
play a bigger part than just charging people outright. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a value in going with somebody like you that really understands the culture and has spent so much time there and, you know, understands the way we often see Africa from a Western lens and to say, no, this is the culture and this is how we celebrate the culture. And like, these are actually the problems behind the problems that need to be solved because too often we're very good intentioned, but we do the wrong things to help. Right. So. Oh, absolutely. Particularly white, white ladies, white women have been (laughs) fucking up. We we just want to solve all the problems and we, it's not helpful. It's yeah. not helpful. So yeah, so I actually, um, one of the things that we will be doing, like I'll have different readings for people and, and we'll be talking about concepts of like, how do you decolonize your travel? How do you decolonize these, um, you know, the, the potential experiences that you're, you're going to have. So we're going to definitely get into things and I'll be, be providing resources to everybody who's on the, the, the trip. We'll be having these discussions, um, you know, certainly my priority also is to create a really safe space for everybody who's on the trip. I think a lot of us who've been in mixed gendered cycling, anything mixed gendered in cycling doesn't always work well for us who are not the cis straight men. We know that. And, um, you know, this trip is open to any human but uh, definitely we'll be setting a lot of parameters around the values and the guidelines and the way that we'll conduct ourselves so that um, everybody feels like it's a, a, a safe space for, for them, for them to be. So there's no KOM hunting. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I use Strava to track my personal progress, so I'm not against it, but no, we're not going to be that. We're not, do- no, we're not. <laughs> We're not going to do, if you want to do that, you can keep it to yourself in your head. We're not going to be creating <laughs> just this culture off. of massive competition amongst yeah. everyone. That's not what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, <laughs> tell people where they can find information about the trip and where they can follow you. Yeah. Well, let's see. You can follow me on Instagram at yogareki. Gorecki is my last name. Y-O, so yogareki. I, you know, post once a month. So enjoy. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, you can uh, follow Zawadisha on Instagram. Zawadisha. I'm sure you have show notes. Uh, we're going to put that in the show notes. Just so people perfect. know how to spell it. Uh, Coalition Snow, you know, all, all we're on, we're on, we're on the gram. Uh, don't not doing a lot of reels. So don't expect that we, we still just post photos. Also, you're welcome. And um, you can learn more about the trip by going to the Zawadisha website. We have a shop. It's called shopzawadisha.com. We also have information on the nonprofit site, which is zawadisha.org. And then you can also just reach out to me directly, and I'd be happy to uh, share more about the trip um, or anything related to any of the millions of things we have discussed here today. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Christine's going to be really sad that she missed this. She had a little family emergency, uh, but she's going to be really bummed that we went everywhere from talking about lube to traveling through Africa. I mean, that's just, that's just a day in the life for me. That's just a day in the life. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I love it. Hey friends, Catherine here. And I want to invite you to join our girls gone gravel adventures team. Whether you're preparing for your first big bike trip, lining up at a starting line, or just learning to clip in for the first time, 
it's more fun with a community to cheer you on. This team is a non-competitive team focused on creating a supportive space for cyclists of all levels. We want to make it easy to find the resources you need. So here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a place to connect with like-minded cyclists. You're going to get opportunities to learn from experts like Kristen Legan, Scotty Lechuga, Laura DeCrescenzo, and more. And you're going to get discounts and early access to events and other fun things. So I hope you'll join us. Just check it out at girlsgonegravel.com backslash team. That's girlsgonegravel.com backslash team. Hope to see you there. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.